Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. I am your host, Gary Nolan, and I'm. I would, frankly, I would like to introduce two of my favorite co-hosts, but they're not here today. So uh, let me just introduce Chuck Basie and Dale Roberts because they they're they're sitting in. Uh, gentlemen, welcome, and uh, we we've got a a lot of lot of ground to cover, but we're going to start off with a piece uh, John Stossel did on gun control with Dana Loesch. Dana Lash, uh, and uh, it, it's it's informative, and it's the kind of thing that I think uh, enables us. It sort of arms us against the anti-gunners. We know that other countries, in response to one mass shooting, have been able to craft laws that almost eliminate mass shootings. Really, we could almost eliminate mass shootings, says the president, with common sense gun laws. It must be true because after the shooting in Oregon he said this. We're the only developed country on earth where this happens. The only country. But that's a myth. The author of Hands Off My Guns says the gun control crowd repeats lots of myths about guns. She's radio host Dana Lash and she joins us now from Texas. So what's a myth? Almost every single day I hear some sort of myth that comes from the organized, the professional anti-gun lobby. I mean, for instance, this what the president just said is that, well, you know, there's no other nation like uh, there's no other uh, industrious nation like us that has you know mass shootings like this. I mean, don't forget what happened in Norway just a couple of years ago. I mean, that was the single biggest mass shooting in humanity. 69 he, people killed. Exactly. Yet they have massive gun control in Australia. There still have been mass shootings. And of course, there was a situation at the Lint coffee shop and and of course, in the UK, they still I'm, had I'm told mass in shootings. Australia they had a mass shooting. They passed tougher laws. They actually confiscated some people's guns, mm -hmm. and everything's better. And in fact, crime mm -hmm. is down in Australia. Well, and it's so interesting that you mentioned that, John, because private gun ownership level in Australia is actually back to what it was pre-1996 confiscation levels. That's something that they conveniently omit. And in lots of places where they legalize guns, they allow concealed carry permits, mm -hmm. crime yes. and gun crime drop. Dramatically. Dramatically they do. I mean, that's called the Florida model. Florida was the first state to implement this, and all the other states were really paying attention to what was, what was happening to Florida's crime rate, because an armed society is a polite society. I mean, you criminals aren't going to pick soft targets. I mean, anyone with common sense knows this. And surveys of prisoners do find that the prisoners say, I'm much more scared of a victim who's packing than I am of the police. Yes, absolutely, because they know if they see an individual who, you know, if they see a woman who is who is just, you know, out and about and she's armed, they know that that woman's going to fight to defend her life. She's going to protect herself. All right, but people where I live, they have a tough time getting their brain around this. More right. guns? This just accidents. People are going to get drunk and shoot each other. My left-wing neighbors are upset about what they call assault weapons now. And the upset yes. people include our next president. Do you think that reinstating the uh, ban on assault weapons and banning high-capacity magazines would do any good? Yes, um, I do. I do. Well, good. You know, my... Uh... And they all applaud. And there's this hysteria about assault weapons. Who needs right. an assault weapon to defend themselves? And you say... 
they can't define what is or is not an assault weapon. It's a made-up unicorn term, John. It's what a meaningless it is. term. You could have an assault it is. knife. I mean, you can, you can have a semi-automatic firearm or you can have a select fire capability going fully automatic firearm. I mean, those are your choices. But the problem is, is that you have all of these firearms illiterate people. They think that just because you have a black rifle that has a rail and has a scope on it, has a pistol grip, it makes it shootier. And that, of course, must mean that it's fully automatic. Uh, that's no, that's not the case. These are gun illiterate people. There is semi-auto and there is fully automatic. Those are your choices. You have military Fully automatic firearms. is a machine gun. Yeah, fully automatic Semi-automatic means you, you have to keep pulling gun. the trigger. Yeah, fully automatic means you pull the trigger once and it goes until you put you release the trigger. Semi-automatic uh, means with each squeeze of the trigger, you get a bullet for each squeeze. There's this internet meme making fun of this assault weapon fear. Uh, a tail of one rifle shows these two guns, A and B, and the second one is what they call an assault rifle and is illegal according to some of the laws because it has a collapsible stock and a pistol grip, but it's the same gun? Yeah. They're cosmetic features. The assault weapons ban simply stipulated that if you have this rifle uh, and you put three or more cosmetic features on it, it's going to be rendered illegal because it does nothing to actually, it does nothing to change the machinations of the firearm. The firearm still operates the same. It shoots the same. It's still a semi-automatic firearm. But if you add these accessories, somehow it makes it more lethal. It just didn't make sense. I'm told 40% of gun sales are done without a background check. That's false. That was the statistic back in the 90s before the Brady Bill went into, the, went into effect. Now it's about fewer than 5%. It's way fewer than that. But even then, we're putting a lot of faith in a background check system that's incredi incredibly fraudulent. Just like the terror watch list, where you had reporter Stephen Hayes, you had Teddy Kennedy, you had John Lewis on that terror watch list. In fact, one of the things, whenever you hear um, either Democrats or you hear anti-gun advocates, whenever they say, well, you know, we were able to stop X amount of criminals from purchasing firearms, there are so many false flags. If your name is too similar, if your name is too long, they count all of them as a whole in their statistics. And so we're relying on a system that's incredibly flawed, and people are talking about expanding an already flawed system. Finally, uh, I'm told if you need defense, call 911. You call that a myth? Calling 911, you have to wait on average, John, 20 minutes. I had an incident where a firearm protected my life. My grandparents called the law, and it was about 45 minutes before the law showed up. They lived in a rural area in Missouri out in the Ozarks. But thankfully, my grandfather was armed. 20 minutes average response time for when you call 911. You are your own first responder. Thank you, Dana Lash. And boy, that, you know, she packed a lot in there. Uh, any disagreements from you guys? Not, not for me. I think she was right on the money. Yeah, she yeah. nailed it. Uh, and, you know, 911, and, and, you know, I look at the police uh, here in uh, Columbia, uh, seriously understaffed. You're your best chance for defense, uh, Dale, and, and that's, that's I, I think, something you just can't argue with. Absolutely. And, you know... It, Dana last raised the point of, you know, what it's like down in the Ozarks and, you know, out in Boone County, you know, I live in Ashland. We have a good, uh, pretty good officer to resident ratio. But if you live out in Boone County, uh, I don't know what the response time is for the sheriffs, but you're kind of on your own out there. And all these stories that keep getting told by the other side, um, you can go to gunfacts, all one word, gunfacts.info. And 
you know, he's right up there with John Lott in terms of a tremendous amount of research and data that comes from the Institute of Justice, the FBI, on and on and on that just repeatedly dispels all these myths. But those myths never die. No, they don't. Uh, we're going to chat about uh, pistol braces and uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun, though, in the next segment. And you guys can uh, kind of mull this over as uh, we go to break. The best Western movie of all time. You know, the Western movies, they all carried guns. They had not only a six-gun uh, strapped to their hip, but they had a rifle in their saddle. What are the best Western movies? What's your favorite Western movie of all time? Gary on Gun. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, the, the best Western movie uh, of all time. I checked with Brian. He said Brokeback Mountain. Uh, I, I'm not sure what it was about that movie he liked, uh, but that was his favorite. Uh, so uh, let me go around the table here, and uh, we'll start with uh, oh, Dale. Let's start with Dale. I immediately thought of, it, and it's a tie, of two movies. You know, maybe my favorite is Silverado, but Open Range comes in a close second. Open range. All right. Uh, Chuck? Well, uh, John Wayne has always been my favorite actor. Yeah. And there was a movie that he did, one of his last movies, one of his last movie, but it was The called, Shootist. Well, The Shootist, right, but uh, Big Jake. Big I, Jake. I, that is a, uh, I watch it all the time. I have it stored on my TiVo at home, and, and uh, when there's nothing else on, I, I usually watch that movie and, and very enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, El Dorado? Again, it's John yeah. Wayne. Yeah. I think John Wayne made some of the best stagecoach. He made some of the best westerns. Yeah, many of them. Yeah, the uh, Cowboys was a great movie when he had those young kids helping him drive cattle. Yeah, yeah, daylight's burning. Yeah. Um, then, uh, do you remember Paul Newman, Ombre? Oh my gosh, that's going yeah. back ways. Yeah. yeah, I mean there were some really great westerns. Uh, they made most of them in the fifties and sixties. They're they're still making some. Uh, but I don't know that there are that many today that uh, that I, I really uh, enjoy. There was one with Kevin Costner, and I can't remember the name of the movie. But uh, they were in town, in a, in a town, and they were pretty much on their own and severely outnumbered. It's the way most of these westerns work. That kind of sounds like open range. But is that the, is that the one where they had the piece of chocolate? Yes. Yep. Open range. All right. Yep, that's so open that range. is. Yeah, that, that is high on my list. I didn't know the name of it. Uh, if you've got a, a favorite Western movie, go to GaryNolan.com, uh, send me a message, and you can do that without worrying about cookies or any uh, tracing of your, you know, your private uh, information. It's just a venue uh, to tell us what your favorite movie is or whatever the topic is. And you can talk about any topic that's on your mind that's gun-related. Or you can call 800-529-5572 and give us a chat. Dale, you have been busy. There are lots and lots of things that you have been following. <laughs> uh, Florida on stabilizing braces is one of them. I was pleased to see that the Attorney General of Florida issued a, a legal opinion, basically a, a public letter, um, stating that there's nothing to prevent the use or uh, criminalize the use of a stabilizing brace under state law in the state of Florida. And, uh, you know, it's a well-reasoned, thought-out 
four-page legal opinion uh, that basically rebuts anything that the ATF has said and makes it clear to Florida residents, you know, we can't do anything about federal law and federal agents, but under Florida state law, you can lawfully use a pistolizing brace. And I'd love to see our Missouri AG speak up on that. Uh, this just came out uh, on the second, what was that, Monday, Tuesday? Anyway, came out on October 2nd. And the federal case on the pistol brace, which is the, the main case is out of the Fifth Circuit. Um, the court, out of Texas, right? Yes, sir. Uh, the court reissued its opinion and sort of gave a tiny bit of ground to the federal government, but not much. And it basically said our original uh, order saying that we've, you know, issued an injunction and halted the effectiveness of the pistol brace ban nationally probably went too far. And so we're going to reissue that order and say that the, the pistol brace ban cannot be enforced against the plaintiffs to this case. And the plaintiffs in that case were, you know, all members of the Second Amendment Foundation, um, all members of... I can't gun remember. owners of America. Right. Uh, and then a couple of, you know, gun manufacturers and, and a couple of individuals. So, you know, they... And I, and I can, as a matter of law, I can easily understand how they could do that. And I'm sure the Biden administration looks at it as uh, a win or, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. But I certainly don't think, I don't think that's the case. You know, this pistol brace thing is really frustrating. We've, we've been talking about this for years, literally for years. Oh, yes. And it, it never goes away. Uh, and for a while there, it was yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Now it's no, but maybe yes in some places. Uh, it's just, it's nauseating that they don't just knock it off. Right. And there's, you know, there's another case at the Supreme Court that has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. We, maybe we'll talk about it later. That I think gives us hope that this back and forth sort of problem may go away. Um, what case is that? The, the Supreme Court case I'm most curious about deals with this Cretan who... Uh, Rahimi. Just, huh? I'm sorry, his name's Rahimi. Right. Yes. Uh, what a, you know, what a horrible case. And it leaves the Supreme Court with, do we stand up for Bruin or do we stand up for this Cretan? Exactly. Exactly. If you, why don't you uh, kind of go through that case as, as best you can? You're an attorney and, and uh, a gun rights advocate and a gun law uh, uh, expert. Explain Rahimi. So Rahimi, in a nutshell, um, there was a protective order against Rahimi. And I'm not even sure it was a, a permanent protective order. You know, if you apply for an order of protection, what most people call an ex parte order, um, a judge will generally err on the side of caution and issue the order saying you can't go near that other person who says they're afraid of you um, pending a, per a hearing at which I may or may not issue a permanent order. And in the meantime, you can't have any guns. And so, you know, A, the person there's not a final order and B, and I think more importantly, it's not a criminal case. It's a civil case. 
and of course the burden of proof is much different in a criminal case they have to find against you beyond a reasonable doubt um so you know he had this uh, at least a temporary order against him he was apprehended with a firearm and were off to the races so that's in a nutshell the issue and of course as you've said the problem with rahimi is that He's a bad guy. He's he's got others. Slammed his girlfriend's head against the dashboard. Uh, pulled out a gun uh, when uh, to scare off a witness. Uh, I mean this it, it, this guy is a cretin from the word go. Exactly, and you know, Alan Gura, friend of mine, argued the Heller case that was the landmark Second Amendment case uh, fifteen years ago, I think. Um, and Alan used to say, you know, you. These cases that people take where it's state versus crackhead, that's not a good case to test what the Second Amendment means because that's not a very sympathetic plaintiff. Uh, right. And obviously, you know, Dick Anthony Heller in the Heller case was a, a security guard for the federal government who was required to carry a gun on federal property during the daytime. They wouldn't let him have one at home at night. So uh, Rahimi is just not a very attractive plaintiff. But the issue, nevertheless, um, is... Does, you know, the, on the face of it, the uh, the law is wrong. You, you know, you cannot take someone's constitutional rights against them when they haven't been convicted of anything and the civil case isn't even final. Not that the final civil case should do so either. Um, but on the facts, it's a good case for Rahimi, but on... Well, on the law, it's a good case for Rahimi. On the facts of who he is and his background, it just doesn't look good at all. It's Unsympathetic if there ever was uh, yeah. anyone. You brought a, a couple of other topics to the table. We're going to get to that. Uh, but on the uh, favorite Western movie, Dusty says Lonesome Dove, followed by Tombstone. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's go to Trey Quigley Down Under. Best Western, then Silverado, then Tombstone. Quigley Down Under, that was in Australia, and that was um, Tom, Selleck. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, yeah. I was going to say Thomas Magnum, but that <laughs> that didn't quite work. Uh, Steve says open range because they actually reload. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You watch those Westerns, and they just keep shooting. They, never, they got a six-gun that, that uh, manages somehow to shoot uh, 30, 40, 50 rounds. Well, it's a six-gun with a high-capacity magazine. Uh, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> hard, hard to know where they stuff them, but uh, yeah, they've got all those bullets. Hey, Gary, did you ever notice in the westerns they always they're always driving cattle, but they never drove cats. <laughs> they, they never drove cats. Yes. Well, that's because most of us know to shoot them <laughs> before oh, the trip even begins. Oh boy. Oh man. <laughs> See, I know I'm safe. <laughs> Because uh, Gwen is not listening. What's this your one. email address again? Uh, <laughs> Chuck Basie at. No. All right. Listen. We're <laughs> oh, cat lovers. <laughs> I'm in so much Good trouble. time for a break. Oh, boy. You're not kidding. It's star I'm starting to sweat here. All right. Uh, you're listening to Gary on Gums. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Chuck Basie is in, former state representative, along with Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. And we have a question from Gary on the line. So let's get Gary's question. And Gary, welcome. Hey, Gary. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing uh, well. The first thing on, on the uh, Western movies, how about Magnificent Seven? Oh, yeah. Or the, yeah, that, that was great. 
All right. Now, here's my next question. I shoot 22s. Uh, and something I noticed the other day, and I was just wondering if there was a reason for it, on high velocity and hyper velocity longs and long rifles, there are a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are copper coated. Even 22 shorts are copper coated. But when you go subsonic, you can't hardly find a coated subsonic 22. And I just wondered if there was a reason for that. Maybe Does cost. I don't know. Uh, Dale, have you heard about this? It's, it's a shame we don't have Garson this morning, but he's he's out doing that spandex modeling thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, my, my answer is, yes, there's a reason for it, but I don't know what it is. Which is uh, I'm glad we clarified that yeah, for you, Gary. No help at all. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been great today. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No. <laughs> Thanks well, for I'm going to give you another cat for that answer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. So, yeah, I I had not heard of that, and, and quite honestly, I hadn't noticed it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what the copper coating does. Uh, or cop, It's actually copper, yeah, copper coating, or plating, whatever they call it. I think that, I think you get more lead fouling, more residue to clean out of just the lead nose 22 than a copper coated 22. Um, I could be wrong, but that's been my perception. Maybe the brand of ammo I shoot. But, Chuck, I don't know if you do much with twenty two. Have you? Not a whole lot. Um, more not 9 millimeters than anything else. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I shoot both the coated and the uncoated. I'm not stuck one way or another. But just something I ran into the other day, and, I, and I'm going, why is it, why is this this way? And you know, I just thought, like, you know, call you guys and see if you don't know. And uh, now I got a chance to buy Gary a cat. So, hey, win-win. <laughs> I think I got to explain all this. All right, Gary, thank you for the call. We will try to get you the answer. There are experts out there that I know that will that will uh, get us the answer. Thank you. Glad to have you on the Gary on Guns thing. Uh, listen, this whole cat thing, and I want to thank my friend Chuck for uh, constantly throwing it up in my face and endangering my marriage. I hate cats. I have absolutely no use for cats. I know there are a lot of cat lovers out there, and that's fine. It, they're, they're not for me. Uh, and, and they're frustrating. You can't train them. But my wife loves cats. And after much cajoling from even her sister and her brother-in-law, I finally relented and let her have the cat. It has been the bane of my existence ever since. And then Chuck... Uh, of course, being a friend, likes to throw it up in my face constantly. <laughs> Brian, of course, going my producer right along with it. It's kind of three to one here. Uh, but that's what all the cat teasing is about. So without uh, any further ado, I'm just going to go grab Scott's phone call because he wants to talk about Westerns. Your favorite Western, Scott? Gary, uh, number one's got to be Blazing Saddles, number two, Three Amigos, number three, the Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. And I want a history lesson. Yes, sir. All right, Scott. Uh, Thank you, and I appreciate that you didn't have any cat jokes for me. 
uh, Puss in Boots is also my favorite animal. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. You, we we lost you. I, I don't know what happened. Brian, I think, hung up on you. Oh, Lord. All right, listen, we're going to move on because there is so much more. Uh, here in, in the state of Missouri, they have the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which essentially says... If it's a federal law and not a state law, the federal government isn't going to get engaged in, in enforcing it. Uh, if the federal government wants to enforce it, they can come here and do it. State isn't going to do it. Prosecutors, law enforcement, at, at every level, we're just not going to do it. And it's it's gone to court, and there's been an advance on this, I believe, and Dale might know what that is. Dale, do you? You know, I've been watching it, and all I've seen so far on CaseNet, the the court's webpage, is, uh, you know, dueling motions back and forth between the attorneys. Um, but if there's been a substantive move, I'm afraid I missed it. I'll have to check and see what's up. Uh, for the time being, SEPA is not the law of the land. Uh, the stay previously issued on the injunction against the Second Amendment Preservation Act was only temporary, pending the Court of Appeals evaluation of a stay. And on September 29th, the Court of Appeals declined to stay the injunction against the Second Amendment Preservation Act. So yesterday, the Attorney General filed a motion to the U.S. Supreme Court asking them for a stay on the injunction. That's the latest. I got this from Ron Calzone. Okay, so, and part of this comes from this strange confusion. Um, the the sponsors of SEPA have repeatedly said this law does not nullify federal law. We were never trying to nullify federal law. Eric Burleson, Senator Burleson, has repeatedly, I mean, he's the Senate sponsor, has repeatedly said that. And so, the, the, you know, one of the things about the order you're referring to, a federal judge came out with an opinion saying the Second Amendment Preservation Act does not nullify federal law. It's like, well, we've been saying that all along. It, we never tried to nullify federal law. But, uh, you know, that may be a case of where if you can reframe the argument to be what you want it to be. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, I... I don't see where this is in conflict with any federal law. It exactly. doesn't... Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I have no idea why they, uh, why they keep trying to push this. The same people, by the way, who in many cases, like uh, St. Louis and Kansas City, are in favor of doing to, to the uh, marijuana laws what we've done uh, with the gun law. Somehow they, they don't see that as the same argument. Right. Right. SEPA all along had basically said, we will not, you cannot use our Missouri law enforcement officials and resources to help enforce the federal law. And, you know, there are countless court decisions out there over the years that say, that, you know, state agents don't have the authority to enforce federal law. The only way it's happened is when police officers are deputized to help, you know, basically be a go-between between the local department and the FBI or the ATF. And they're deputized and they work with the federal agencies and they all get together and do, you know, the Mustang Drug Task Force or what have you. 
Um, but, you know, again, so SAPA said, yeah, we're just not going to do that when it comes to guns. And somehow the other side has has reframed the argument to say, oh, so you're trying to nullify federal law. And as I said, the, the folks who sponsored the bill keep saying that's not what it says. That's not what we tried to do. Well, they'll keep distorting it. We're up against the clock here, so we're going to take a break and then come back. One of the other topics that Dale has been covering, gun rights is big business and the conflict thereof. Bringing into the conversation Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who discovered that Intuit, Intuit is a financial services provider in Texas, was refusing to provide accounting services to a certain group of people. You can just imagine who that is. That's next. I'm Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. And uh, the theme of the program today is your favorite Western movie, because after all, they always carried guns. And uh, you can call us at 800-529-5572. And you can also go to GaryNolan.com, send me a message, and we'll, uh, we'll read it on the air. Chuck Basie is with us, former state representative, and also Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Dale has been busy watching all kinds of things including Senator Ted Cruz and his staff, who have discovered that Intuit, and they make this software uh, for uh, finances to keep track of, um, is, well, discriminating against a certain group. Who would that group be? It certainly wouldn't be the Second Amendment, you know, people. Support, no, I mean, no it wouldn't be them, would it? Those are folks who uphold the Constitution. Yeah. But apparently they are. In, indeed. So uh, some group, I think, of businesses, uh, firearms groups, brought to the attention of Senator Ted Cruz that Intuit, and as you said, it's some financial services, quasi-banking, whatever corporation, was refusing to provide services to manufacturers and sellers of firearms. And again, this is an issue that Garson is quite familiar with if he were here instead of off-modeling uh, whatever spandex yeah um so uh cruz senator cruz you know got involved uh help, you know started having hearings and investigations and i think as i understood it they they sort of got into it to back off but in the process into it said well we were doing this because the you know the national groups were forcing the national banking corporations were basically forcing us to do it and and so you know it's like well you may be able to get into it to change the way they're doing business and go back to serving firearms folks but we still have the problems of big banks big credit card companies um, either tracking what's going on with second amendment business for firearms business the industry or just flat out discriminating against them and i i know uh couple of friends of mine who have federal firearms licenses and operate out of their home which you can lawfully do uh have said they've had they have more and more problems with ups giving them a lot of trouble about firearms deliveries so you know it's just this ongoing sort of backdoor way of of trying to tamp down second amendment rights uh that just doesn't seem to go away I it, it's so frustrating. It makes me want to scream. I, I literally I want to yell. 
Uh, I would ask Chuck, but but you know, Chuck would be quiet if there was a nuclear weapon under his chair. He'd be like, "Well, it's not good." <laughs> um, but it makes me crazy. I want to scream like. What the hell is the matter with these people? How can so many people be so brainwashed that that, that we? I mean, it it's like whack-a-mole. Uh, it, it's uh, well, you can't use your credit card here. They're keeping track of you there. You you can't uh, have a bank account with this firearm industry. I mean, it's just it's nonstop. People just need to be reprogrammed. <laughs> Thank you, Hillary. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so nice. if you think Chuck is quiet, you haven't seen his social media. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, listen, I was actually thinking, I was looking at, uh, for for listeners out there, there is a, a, a kind of a, a text message thing that, that uh, goes on between Garson, Dale, Chuck, Brian, my producer, and myself. And I was I was thinking of asking... Who is the least politically correct of the crowd? Uh, because some of the text messages and stuff that I get from you guys, holy moly, uh, you can, I can't even do it on the air. Yeah, I think that's a rhetorical question, but maybe that's just me based on what I know of Chuck's social media. Yeah, you're not far behind. Uh, okay. I'm just, I'm just saying. So speaking of the SAPA case. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did want to note. So there are two SAPA cases going on. The Second Amendment Preservation Act is challenged in state court and federal court. And I've been watching the state court case in which very little is happening. And what we spoke about earlier is the federal court case. So they're taking two bites of the apple. They're coming at it from two different directions. Just makes me crazy. That's all I can tell you. Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey... A former federal prosecutor in New Jersey has voiced his support for aspects of the Safer Communities Act. Dale, what's in the Safer Communities Act that a Republican Second Amendment supporter could possibly like? That's such a good question. I have no idea um, because, of course, the Safer Community Act uh, was Biden's uh, act that I think had provisions for, uh, you know, funding red flag laws, which is sort of encouraging, if not blackmailing states into pushing red flag laws. And, you know, I'm not sure Christie has much of a chance in the presidential primary, but nevertheless, taking that position, it's strange because some years ago, and I can't remember the case, but, um, when he was the governor of New Jersey, he got involved in a Second Amendment case and stepped up on behalf of the individual and that individual's Second Amendment rights. And it was so noteworthy. I actually wrote him a letter. I thought, I'll never hear back. But I wrote a letter to the governor of New Jersey and said, you know, I do blah, blah, blah. Thank you for standing up for this. And I got a letter back from Chris Christie saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. And so now that he's running for president... He's flirting with with gun regulation and 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 restricting gun rights, and I don't know. <laughs> I hope he honestly believes that. I hope he's not doing that because he thinks it's going to get him some votes. Well, we'll find out, but I I, I don't think it's going to get him very many votes, and I don't think he's going to go far in the in the primary. 
I I watched him. Uh, Brian Hansen and I used to watch these debates on YouTube where he'd have a press conference, and the school unions would be challenging him, and he was brilliant. Really slapped him down. But then he came out as a little bit further to the left than we expected, and not so much a fan of his. I, I like him in a debate with you know with with the left, but otherwise uh, I'm not a big fan. Hunter Biden in the news, of course, and I think it's kind of ironic, Chuck, that Hunter Biden is, for his defense, I think, going to argue that the whole Nick's check is unconstitutional, uh, that uh, these gun laws that his father promoted ought not be law at all. And he's going to rely on Bruin, I think, to get him there. Kind of, kind of ironic, no? Yep, sure looks that way. It, um, and then didn't he agree to plead guilty on a misdemeanor charge? And now he's pleading not guilty on this, basically the same thing? Right. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's interesting. Dale, as an attorney, tell me, if, I, if I'm in his shoes, I plead not guilty, uh, or I plead guilty first, and then when the deal gets thrown out of court, I turn around and plead not guilty... Can the prosecutors say, look, just just two months ago, he said he was guilty of this very crime? No, he, I mean, he, uh, I can't remember if he had actually entered the plea, um, but basically, you know, on a plea agreement, you go forward and say, uh, Your Honor, we've, the prosecutor and I have come to an agreement. Uh, if the prosecutor, you know, if, the, if you'll accept it, if the state does this, then my guy will plead guilty. And in that case, the judge said, wait a minute, I'm not going to accept that. And start, and start asking questions about well, what about all these other crimes he's committed. Um, so, A, I'm not sure he formally entered that plea as much as said, I would enter a plea of guilty if you would give me the slap on the wrist. But in any event, it, it's... It's not admissible, and actually it's a different, probably a different docket, different case. Um, yes, I know it is. So this has been brought by the indictment that the, the federal prosecutor brought. The we'll see case. how it unfolds, but I think it's ironic that he's going to have to hide. Uh, he's going to have to attack the laws his father endorsed to get off the hook. Supreme Court case that could support the Second Amendment that has gone unnoticed. That's, that's next. I'm Gary on Guns.